and, and we're going we're gonna to pick up now and just processing through where we're at. Most of you are going, it's 10.50. Normally we've started before this. Don't worry. We'll, we'll make it by noon. <laughs> um, uh, we're just going to jump right in. Jonah chapter 3, if you haven't been with us, uh, you, can, you can check out our podcast, you can check out our website, follow up on some of the other sermons, uh, but we're in Jonah chapter 3, this is where he goes to Nineveh, he shares the gospel, we see that the gospel saves, uh, one thing we do here is we stand when we read the word, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand, and we're going to jump right into our text today, I'm going to read all of Jonah chapter 3, uh, and then we are going to make our way through this, this passage, here we go. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in his ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let me pray. Father, Father, we come into this passage today and we see that, God, you save. Entire nation comes to know you. God, I pray that as as we look at this passage, that through your word, your spirit would give us wisdom, would give us understanding, and that we would be strengthened with the knowledge, with the understanding that you save. And God, may we be emboldened today, that we would share the gospel all the more. God, fill us with, uh, with your strength today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. If you haven't um, kind of caught on, the last three weeks we've emphasized missions. We've had people standing up each week sharing about uh, different missions. Uh, ben stood up a couple weeks ago. We talked about Thailand and India, where he and I are going to go in like a month from today. A month from today. Uh, Peggy and Rose stood up last week, uh, talked about uh, where they went last year and the fact that they're going to be going to Lebanon and Poland this year. And uh, Jay has stood up today talking about how she is going to Mexico. And we're in a book all about just the grace of God. In fact, his unrelenting grace and how he uses a man to bring about the salvation of an entire city, um, Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And so we're looking at the power of the gospel. And so that's where we're at today. And the thing that we need to see 
is that our God saves. That's what we want to see, is that the gospel saves. The God whom we serve, the God of the Bible, by His grace, saves. And so, of everything that we hear, that's what we're to see in this text, is that our God saves. Verse 1 and 2, they're almost identical to what we read in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God speaks to Jonah, God commands him to go to Nineveh and speak, and rather now, rather than doing what he did in chapter 1, running away, he now obeys, he goes to Nineveh. Verse 3, uh, the city is about a three days journey in breadth probably meaning the city and all the surrounding area. And basically, it's huge. And he goes a day's journey in, and he preaches the gospel. Verse 4, he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now in Hebrew, that's only five words. And the crazy thing is, Nineveh repents. Verses 6-10 through kind of give the details of that repentance. We see that Jonah preaches Nineveh is saved, and this is the biggest revival in the entire Old Testament. And it's not with Israel. It's with Assyria. Because God saves. And that's what we're going to see today. And So my prayer is that as we look at this, that our, our faith would be strengthened, that our spines would be strengthened like that of steel, that whatever fears we have would be, would be crushed through the weight and the power of God's Word, and that we'd be strengthened in the hope that we have of the God that we serve. And so what I want to do as we look through here, we're going to look at the messenger, we're going to look at the recipients, and then we're going to look at the message. So we're going to do so in that order, and in all of that, see how our God saves. So number one, we look at the messenger. Uh, the gospel saves regardless of our past mistakes. I'm going to move the duck now because I can't look at a duck and preach the gospel. Because <laughs> that's just weird. <laughs> Anyways. So the story of, jo- story of Jonah. Jonah's rejected God. Uh, he's run from him. And so oftentimes we, would, we think in our minds, okay, God, God should just use someone else. But rather than brushing Jonah off, rather than saying, all right, fine, you're not going to follow me. I'll just raise up another guy. God pursues Jonah with his unrelenting grace and, and then uses him to bring about this revival, this salvation in Nineveh. Now often we bind to the lie that our past mistakes, that our past sins disqualify us from being used by God or even being saved by God, which we'll look at that in a little bit. Let me ask you, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever wondered, I've messed up so much Could God still use me? Would God even want me? Have you ever wondered that? Have you known people who have wrestled with that? Man, I've done this, this, and this. Like, surely there's no way God will continue to look to use me. But if we look at the Bible, what we see is story after story of how God uses misfits, uses people who have messed up in extraordinary ways. I mean, take Samson, for example. Samson in the book of Judges is given the gift of strength. Uh, an incredible gift, the gift that we all want, you know? And, and Samson is really just one of the biggest failures in all of the entire Old Testament. He wasted the gift that God gave him. He took pride in his strength. He broke his vows. Uh, in the end, he was captured. He was bound. He was made blind. And we just go, well, it serves him right. Right? Like, that's kind of how we process things, I think. At least, at least that's how I do. You might be very different. Uh, 
But despite his sins, when he turns to God, when he's a prisoner with the Philistines and he prays for strength, God blesses him at that moment, grants him the strength that he actually is able through the pushing down of pillars. He kills more Philistines than he ever did in his life and brings salvation to all of Israel. So despite his mistakes, his past, his sins, God still uses him in a powerful way means what we see in throughout scripture is god uses our sins our mistakes as a means of preparing us for our for his future work think about it. jonah runs from god god by his grace throws a storm at him drowns him in the ocean swallows him in a well and it's in the well that now jonah is faced with his sins faced with his running away faced with the sovereignty of God, and God begins to use all of that now to prepare him to go preach the message to Nineveh. It took his running away and the drowning in the sea for the preparing of him to go to Nineveh. Romans 8.28, many of you know this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God uses the very things in our past. By His infinite grace, He uses our past, our sins, our mistakes, all that we've done, not only for our good, but also as a means that we'd be equipped so we could testify of God's grace. Do you know that? All that you think that disqualifies you, God is actually using to equip you. Now, this is by no means like, like a license to sin. Well, let's see if God can use this one to equip me. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Romans 6, Paul will, will hit on that very hard, saying, shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? No, for we who had know Christ now live for Christ. So it's not that we, we, we challenge God. You know, we, we see how good he is at turning our sins for good. But what we do know is that He uses the very things in our past. His grace is sufficient to save us, to transform us, and to equip us for the sharing of the Gospel. Next point, let me see. Uh, The Gospel saves regardless of our weaknesses. Let's come back to Jonah. Think about the message that he gives. What are we to think about it? The way that it's recorded for us. Surely, Jonah said more than what's recorded. I mean, he faithfully gave the message that God had given him. We read that in verse 2, where, where God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. So surely Jonah gave the whole message that God had told him. But why only record this very brief message on the judgment of God? We don't read about God's grace. We don't read about His might, His power. Now, according to the New Testament, most likely he did share about what happened in the well, for Luke 11.30 says this, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so his, his life was the sign to Nineveh, so not only did he preach the message, but he told them, look, look what God did to me. Look, look at his grace, how he brought me up from the depths of the sea. Um, but none of that's recorded. Now, we might not think anything of that if we didn't have chapter 4 but in chapter 4 we see that after God saves Nineveh which we'll look at next week Jonah's mad he's mad at God because he's going no you should not have done that you should have done what you did to Sodom and Gomorrah you should have lit him up they did not deserve grace that's where Jonah's at so Jonah is obedient to God and giving the message 
but surely what chapter 4 tells us, he has mixed motives in his heart. He's not going with this pure heart of just going, man, to God be all the glory. May these people be saved. He's going, okay, I know I need to be obedient, but I'm still not on board with this whole them coming saved. And again, we'll look at that more next week. So I think what we have in this message, we're seeing, we're seeing the, the hardness in his heart. We're seeing where he's wrestling with him, with God. But I think what we see is despite Jonah's weaknesses, God uses him. Often we think that we need to have all the answers before we share the gospel. We think we need to have some level of eloquence. We think we need to be able to have our lives all put together. If we're going to tell someone about Jesus, then we better look good, right? Like we want, the, we want our lives to match the message because we don't want to screw it up. So, so I won't tell anyone until I've reached some level of perfection or holiness. We think that the effectiveness of the gospel message is determined by the perfection of the instrument, you and me. But what do we see here in Jonah? Think about it. What do we see? Is he a guy who's triumphing the cause of God? Who's going to God be the glory and honor and praise no matter how he acts? No, because chapter 4 tells us that's not where he's at. He's being obedient to God, but he's wrestling in his heart. What we see here is the gospel saves not because of our perfection and power and persuasiveness, but because of God's grace. Now, I'm not saying we should not seek holiness, and we should not be prayerful, and we should not think about how we, we, we give the gospel. I mean, even as I prepare a message, I, I think through it, I outline it, I write it out. There's, the Spirit works in that kind of preparation and order, but let us not think that God is limited to only that. And let us not think that our weaknesses become a hindrance to God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.15-29. This is what it says. For consider your calling, brothers. So this is Paul. Now, so just put yourself in the shoes of the Corinthians right now. So just whatever he says to Corinthians, just... Think this about yourself. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. So that's us. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you see the truth? You see what, God's, what Paul's saying? God uses us because we are weak. That's the whole point. So he gets all the glory. It's not about us looking powerful. It's not about us having money. It's not about us being a certain level of eloquence. It's about how God uses us in our weaknesses in our shortcomings and uses us in powerful ways so that his gospel message would go forth. Because the message is not about how great and eloquent and persuasive we are. It's about the power of God. The God who saves. So hear this. 
If we say the effectiveness of the gospel is determined upon the holiness of the speaker, then we are denying the sufficiency and the power of the gospel. Do you see that? We make it a gospel plus. Well, yeah, Jesus will save if I do it this way. So the gospel's good, but it needs me at a certain level for it to bring a saving power. That's not what we see. What we see is the gospel is sufficient to save in and of itself. We simply need to serve it up and let God do all the work. Romans 1.16 says this, It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now again, this does not mean we're not concerned about holiness. So please, do not think we're talking license to sin and that none of that matters. But what we see is that we must not fall into the lie that God cannot use us. God is not calling for perfect instruments. He's calling for willing, humble instruments to simply say, yes, I will go, I will, I will share the gospel, knowing that the results are not based upon ultimately me, but upon God. Our weaknesses, our shortcomings are not a hindrance to the gospel. God uses them as a means to show His power, His greatness, and His grace. So we've seen that we can share the gospel with confidence despite sins, despite weaknesses. Rather than being disqualified, God uses those things in our past actually as a means of magnifying His grace. So now let's look at the confidence we have when we talk to people based upon who they are. Let's look at the recipients. What we see here in Jonah is that the gospel saves regardless of the sinner. In our first sermon, we talked about uh, the wickedness of Assyria. Assyria was known for their brutality. They were known for raping, for pillaging, for torturing their enemies. They were a wicked, a, a wicked, a wicked, radical, terrorist nation. Think radical Islam. Think Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Think Nazi Germany. Think the Khmer Rouge in uh, Cambodia and the genocide they committed. Think of the Hutu extremists in Rwanda that killed 800,000 people. Like, think, think that... And we surely, oftentimes in our heads, think there's no way they're going to believe the gospel. Their hearts are too hard. Their, their sins are, are so grievous, so scandalous, so horrific, there's no way they can be saved. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever heard of people who have talked like that? Have you ever thought that there are some people that you know, they're just, they're just too hard? There's no way that guy's going to believe Jesus. They're too lost. They've done too much. Or maybe, maybe you think that about yourself, and you're sitting here going, there's no way. I've done this, 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 and this. There's no way God wants me. There is no way. I have done too much. But what we do is, we, as we keep reading, we come to verse 5, and it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Like, I think we're actually supposed to just kind of like pause, especially after we read verse 4, yet 40 days and then it will be overthrown. We're like, yeah, well, they're, they're not going to make it, not with a message like that. And then they're saved, and we're just like, what? Like, you've got to read the story as it's meant to be read. We can't read 40 days, they'll be overthrown, and then they believe. Cool, all right, next. They put sackcloth on. That's not how we read the Bible. That's not, I was actually talking to one of my children the other day, is when we read, the, when we read fiction, 
We read it in the, ma- in the manner that it's meant to, in the tone, in the genre that it's meant to be read in. But somehow, when we come to the Bible, often we put all of our reading skills on the shelf, and we come to it like we're reading a dictionary. And we're like, well, this is kind of, you know, just left to right, top to bottom, that's it. But when we read the Scriptures, we're to read them as they're meant to be read. And the way we do this, read them over and over and over again. You'll begin to catch that, that tone that comes through. And you'll see, 40 days you're going to be destroyed. And it's like, really? That's your message? And they believe. So what's the point? God's grace saves. That's what we see. God's grace is able to overcome the greatest of sins. There's no heart that God's grace is not able to break, that God's grace is not able to overcome, that God's grace is not sufficient to save. If you're here and you think there's no hope for me, Jonah 3 says, yes, there is. Will you believe Christ? If we keep our eyes on ourselves, everything else looks small and our sins look big. But as we take our eyes off of ourselves and we look at the grace of God and the sufficiency of the cross, then we understand the power that he has to save. Think about the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15. He writes, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. So if you don't know who Apostle Paul is, Paul killed Christians, he threw them in prison, and yet then God saves them and he writes half the New Testament. And he's literally saying, look, I, I, was, I was the worst. And yet God changed me, transformed me, turned me inside out. Think Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He destroys Jerusalem. He defies the God of Israel. He deifies himself. He attributes all of his success to his power. And yet then God just, you should read Daniel 4, and it just turns him inside out wrecks his life at the end of chapter 4 nebuchadnezzar says this now i nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all of his works are right and his ways are just to those who walk in pride he's able to humble god saves nebuchadnezzar in fact we preached that at the beginning of let's see this 19 of 2018 Let us not fall into the lie that God's grace is not able to save. God's grace is able to melt the hardest of hearts. Jeremiah 23, 29 says this. God says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Do you know that? Is that how you view the Word? When you come into the Word, the Word is able to transform your heart. And as you give the Word, the Word is able to transform those who hear. So we see that the gospel saves regardless of the sinner. The gospel saves also regardless of status. Look at, um, look at verse 5. They called for a fast and put on a sackcloth from the greatest to the least. So all of Nineveh. And we see in verse 6, uh, the king gets off his throne, removes his robe, covers himself with sackcloth, and he sits in ashes. A picture of humility. A picture of just contrition of the heart. And in verse 7, he commands that everyone in the kingdom, even the animals, which that's just fun, um, but even the animals, he's like, just cover them all with sackcloth and ashes. Everyone just come to repentance. What we see is that God's grace is not just for the rich, it's not just for the middle class, it's not just for the poor. 
What we see is that God just doesn't save those in certain parts of the world. Those who are born to certain families. But regardless of our social status, regardless of our ethnicity, the gospel saves. That's what we see. God saves those in Israel. And of course, that's Jonah's hang-up. He only saves those in Israel. But then we come to Jonah in chapter 3, and we see God saves those outside of Israel. So whether you're in Israel, outside of Israel, the grace of God saves. And we see that all throughout the Bible. We see God's saving grace of people outside of Israel. We see Rahab from Jericho. Ruth from Moab, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, Nineveh in Assyria. In Revelation, we read that one day there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language gathered around the throne. And what are they doing? They're worshiping God. Because in Revelation, we have a picture of the end of the story. Right now, we're in the middle of the story. We're going out and sharing the gospel. Does it work? Revelation says it does work. Eventually, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language gathered around the throne worshiping God because of the truth that we see here in Jonah. God saves. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about who the people are, how hard they are, what they've done. It's about the grace of God. That's the message. That's what we see in the Word. It's about God who saves. So when we, when we talk missions, why, why do we go share the gospel in the nations? Why do we go to India, Thailand, to Lebanon, to Poland? What, why is Jay going to Mexico? Why do we go to any of these places? Is it because we're looking for stamps on the, on the passport? Yes. No. I mean, we like stamps, right? It's because the gospel saves. That's why we go. It's because we serve a God who is mighty, who is great, who is glorious, who is gracious. And that when we share His name, people are saved. That's why we go. He alone is worthy of our worship. There's no greater joy that we have than sharing the God who saves. That's why we go. So what we see is the gospel saves regardless of the messenger. We see the gospel saves regardless of the recipient. So quickly, we will now just look, we'll just look at the message. What is it that we actually say? Verse 4 may be brief, but every word weighs a pound. Okay, so let's look. Verse 4. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Bible clearly tells us, as humans, we are sinful. We've rebelled against God. We deserve judgment. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God created us to worship Him. Rather than doing that, we've spat in His face. We've given worship due. We've given the worship that is due God to anything other than God. Romans 1 talks about how God has created this world as a showcase of His glory. And because of what we see in Romans 1, he says, there is no one who can deny the existence of God. The creation itself speaks of the very glory of God, and yet what we then read in Romans 1 is because of sin, we suppress that knowledge. We reject that knowledge. Say, no, I still don't want to worship this God. I'm going to believe He either doesn't exist or I'll attribute something else to be God. And because of that, we deserve judgment. Just as a judge is perfectly just in condemning a murderer, to prison, or, or whatever else. So God is perfectly just 
to cast every single person into everlasting torment because we have spurned his glory. You know that? That's, that's the case the Bible makes. And here's, we have to communicate this. This is the bad news. This is the part that no one ever wants to share. In fact, when we read Jonah 4, we go, did you say anything else, Jonah? I mean, that's judgment. Didn't you give him something else? We have to know the judgment. The good news is only good when we know that there is what? Bad news. Don't fall into the trap that we should wait for the right time to tell someone of God's judgment. I'll just wait so that they're not offended that I tell them they're going to go to hell because of God's wrath. When is that not offensive? When? When are you good enough friends with someone to say, just so you know? I, that never actually happens. That's a lie. The gospel is offensive because it's offensive to us all because it calls us out as sinners in need of grace. So we have to give the judgment. We have to. So if you're sitting here and you're really good about talking about Jesus and really good talking about the cross, the cross doesn't make sense if there's no judgment. Why did he have to go to die? There's no sense for the cross if there's not a God who's wrathful because of sin. We have to explain that. We have to let people understand that. And we just pray that God works. Because there is no way that conversation goes well in our power. Right? The good news is the message doesn't stop there. God gives grace. God sends His Son to this world that He would die on a cross, that He would take our sins, that He would pay the punishment. And we know, we know the famous verse, John 3.16. We know this, For God so loved the world that what? That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gives His Son so that if we believe in Him, we have life. So why do we preach Jesus? We preach Jesus because Jesus saves. That's why we preach Christ. He's the one who paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. You see, again, if we don't tell people they're under God's judgment, it doesn't make sense why they need Jesus. All roads lead to heaven when there's no judgment. Okay? You can take anything you want. You can all get to heaven when there's no judgment. But if there truly is a God, and if He's offended by our, sons, our sins, then it's not us who determines how we can be saved, but it's God. And God has determined that it's through Jesus, His Son, that there is salvation. That's what we must know. That's the message, is that our God saves. And the reason He saves is because He sent His Son Jesus. And as we proclaim Jesus, we can have confidence there will be people who come to know. And will they come right away? Awesome when they do. Sometimes not. Sometimes we just plant seeds. And we see later and later, maybe we will see the fruit of that. Or maybe decades later, weeks later, years later, maybe they've moved away. Our job is not the results. That's God's job. Our job is just to be willing and to go and to share the gospel. And what we see is that we can do it in confidence. Because it's not you who ultimately bring about the results. 
Because despite your weaknesses, despite your sins, despite your shortcomings, God uses us in all of our weakness to make much of His glory that people would be saved. So, question then. Will we go and share the gospel? Because Matthew 28, which is the Great Commission, we know this, we talk about it all the time. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So if you're here and you're a believer, if you're a disciple, a disciple is one who goes and shares the gospel. That's who we are. We learn Jesus to live like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He spoke about the kingdom. That's what we do as well. So the question is, is will we go? That might be local. That might be across the street. That might be across the cubicle. That might be across international borders. The question is, will we go? Will we share the gospel? Will we trust that this gospel saves? That we can, we can serve it up. We can give the gospel to whoever it is and just trust. God, you save. Now that doesn't mean we should just try to throw it out there the worst way possible and just see how powerful God is. Definitely there's wisdom in thinking about how to plan, how to give it out. But regardless of how it happens, we give the gospel. So will you go? Will you share the gospel? And, and don't give, you know, the Sunday school answer. Yes, of course I will, Jesus. Like, think about it. Is there someone even in your life that you know now needs the gospel? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, I know that I need the gospel. Will you believe in the gospel today? Will you trust in Jesus today? Will you trust that in Christ, all your sins are paid for, and in Him, He gives forgiveness and new life. And if you're here and you have believed that message, will you share it? Will you risk whatever relationship that there is? Will you be obedient to Christ and give the greatest news that is out there? And if you want to know, what does it look like for someone to actually believe the gospel? Well, we, we see it here in Jonah. We see uh, that there's belief in God. We see that, that they, they believe in this God. We see there's humility. Notice the king puts on sackcloth, gets off his throne. There's an acknowledgement of sin. There's repentance. There's turning from sin. Verse 8, he says we must turn from all of our sinful and evil ways. So there's, there's the belief in God. There's the humility that I'm not king. God's the one who's king. I need to turn from my sinful life. I need to live in a way that honors him. And we have a new life. We follow Christ. That's what they're seeking to do now. We're going to turn from our evil ways. We're going to live now obedient to God. There's belief in God. There's humility. There's repentance. There's living a way that honors God. That's, that's what repentance in kind of its fullness looks like. And how are people going to repent? Because they hear the gospel. The way that Nineveh was saved was by God's grace. The instrument he used was Jonah. And the crazy thing is, that's how God determines to work. Some people say, well, if God's really going to save people, and he's going to do it all anyway, do we really need to go? Yes, because God has chosen to work through people to accomplish his plans. So the way that people are saved is by God's grace, but through his instruments proclaiming the gospel. So the way that your neighbor, the way that your loved ones, the way that people on the other side of the world, the way that they will come to faith is when we go share the gospel despite our weaknesses, despite our sins, despite their sins, 
And we simply proclaim the glory of God. And as they hear the glory of God, there will be many who are saved. So the question is, will we go? So I encourage you. I I love that Jay is here today and and she stands here today saying, I still have fear. I still know how this is going to work out. But I'm just walking forward one step at a time. So I just say, will you do that too? One step at a time. Whether that's to join uh, uh, people like Peggy in Poland and go to Lebanon or Poland this year, they need, they need people to go with them. If you desire to go, we want to help make that happen. Maybe that's beginning to consider long-term missions, or maybe that's simply just, will you go across the street and share the gospel? Or will you, with your friend at work or at the coffee shop, share the gospel? Our God is great. And he is glorious. And he loves to save. So I, I just encourage us, let, let us know who our God is. And let's, let's share him with the confidence that he saves. I'm going to pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace. We thank you, God, that you save. We thank you, the God, that you are great and glorious. That you're gracious And God, we just pray that through your word today, your spirit would work in our lives, that we would grow in our love for you, our adoration of you, our humility, and our confidence in sharing the gospel. That we know that as we share, it's not about the results that we bring about, but we know that God, you save. And God, we pray that you would use us to save many. God, give us the strength to follow you, to be willing and to obedient, to be obedient. Thank you for Jay and her testimony today as she has shared about being faithful. God, may we now follow you also. In your name, Jesus, amen.